Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Story Studio. Oh yeah, here we go. Check it out now. Welcome to the Story Studio, a podcast for an independent publishing company. It explores the world of self-publishing, independent art, fruits, and the future of and storytelling. Nuts, and the future of storytelling. <laughs> uh, how's it going, man? Are you okay? I'm good, I'm good. Um, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I just need to remind <laughs> you, listeners, because I've completely forgot. My name is Luke Condor <laughs> with a K, and uh, I'm joined by uh, Mr. Daniel Wilcox. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> okay, so, uh, yeah, I, can, it's, I think it's a bit late for us. I think we're a bit loopy. We've just done it, recorded the interview. I've I've drank half a can of iron brew. It's uh, it's all hell's breaking loose right now. Half um, a can? Half a can. It's full of Holy sugar. Holy crap, man. Come on. It's, uh, oh, it's Friday. You're fine. You're fine. Friday. Yeah. Uh, how's the uh, writing going? Uh, it's going good. I'm currently... Um, planning and looking at a novella that i'll be putting together which is an extension of um a story that our patreon listeners will be familiar with so if you're a patreon listener you've got something exciting to look forward to if you're not a patreon listener then get onto patreon.com forward slash hawk and cleaver and pledge for as little as a month that was a nice little plug but basically you'll get loads of really good goodies for just a dollar a pound a month a quid uh, so this this novella you're writing is uh, about crusty things, is that right? It is, yeah. So it's, I won't say too much, but yeah, it's basically um, sprung out of the At Sea volume that we had recently for the other stories. Um, a little bit inspired by a book I just finished and one that I think we've mentioned before in the podcast, which is The Troop by Nick Cutter. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I'm, I'm planning on going really gross with it, but I don't want it to be a monster-led story. I want it to be one of those really kind of grimy, this could be a real-world story that, that really kind of gets under your skin. Nice. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the Troop is uh, it's a really great book. In, oh, ter- in terms of, like, good. disgusting, um, yeah, someone someone joked that uh, it should come with a complimentary sick bucket. There's, there's <laughs> points in that book that are just so gross, but, but like, kind of... It's one of those things where I'm always amazed when prose can make me feel physically like that. Do you know what I mean? If it can yeah. have such a physical effect. Yeah, it's the first book in a while that the minute I finished it on my Kindle and it said, do you want to review this book? I just jumped straight on and put a review. Um, and I'm pretty sure in the review, one of the bits I talk about is is exactly that, the fact that it's rich, it's colourful, it attacks every sense. 
Yeah. But nothing's nothing's left. You you just completely, utterly just. Voided. But the story's good as well. Yeah, the story yeah. it ties together nicely. It's quite. It's not overly complex. It's very no, much someone, someone said it's a kind of a comic booky story, and I didn't know what it meant at first. But I think what they mean is it's not. It's not particularly like literary. Do you know what I mean? Like it's um, a fairly no. simple concept and story, but it's just told. It's just done so well, so yeah. neat. And it's it's so perfectly put together and, and packaged, and it it just is really effective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um, it's one I'd highly recommend, and I definitely would like to read more of his stuff. Is this your big whip, by the way, or read? No. Okay, okay. So, no. what, what's your big whip? Wait, wait. How's your writing going? I don't, oh, yeah. I don't want to be self. <laughs> how's how's yours? Yes, I'm doing NaNoWriMo or Nano Boozmo. How's that going? Uh, I'm thirty thousand words into the into the NaNoWriMo. It's going quite okay, well. So you're on track. Yeah, I uh, so I only meant meant to do this like uh, the, the plan was to do finish this little novella thing I'm doing and then move on to like the next novel. So this novella has quickly turned into an actual novel, uh, like a short novel. <laughs> I think it's going to come into about fifty five thousand words or something like that. But it's in a way, it's actually got some bits that are quite inspired by that book, uh, The Troop. I'm trying mm. to. There's a, a scene I've been writing recent, like the past couple of days, where I'm really trying to get into that gore that isn't just isn't just like words on a page but actually really sort of gets in your mind and um let's let's doesn't um paint everything but lets you sort of paint in the color in you, yourself and i think that's kind of mm-hmm. like what what works so good about that kind of gore but yeah it's been fun it's been really interesting and um quite exciting to just crack on with some like long form fiction again yeah do you have a title for it yet. No, I mean, I've had various ideas, but none of them have really stuck with me just yet. Mm. So I don't know. Um, That's always the hardest part, I think. For me, anyway. Yeah. Normally, I'll, I'll have them, but it'll change like so many times throughout the process. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Come on, the man. What's your big whoop? So, my big whoop is Taylor Swift's new album. Interesting choice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um but I wasn't sure what I was expecting because, to be fair, I loved. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to paint me to people listening now, but the um, yeah, the first two songs she released, the "Look What You Made Me Do" and "Are You Ready for It," I very much enjoyed, and I was wondering how the the album would match up. Um, and to be fair, I've only had I've only had a couple of listens of it, but yeah. I know it's a good album because every morning I'm waking up and there's like a random different song from the album just stuck in my head. That's how you yeah you definitely want them stuck in your head. I um. There's, I've listened to it as well, and only because it, um, at work we have like an office playlist. Don't sort of justify. <laughs> well, I, I didn't put it on, but <laughs> I've got to the point where I keep putting the same songs on. So I, I am at a point where because I can't listen to like heavy music at work, I just keep putting Bon Iver on. <laughs> and there's only so oh, much yeah. Bon Iver you can put on before uh, your colleague, like, dude, <laughs> listen to <laughs> something <on>. else. <laughs> Yeah, and then I was suggesting some of uh, the lead singer from Bon Iver's side projects, but um, it wasn't quite enough. So he put on Taylor Swift, and yeah, it's all right. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, it's not quite. It's uh, what's that big song that everyone liked? Take it off, break it off. Shake oh, it off. shake it off. <laughs> <laughs> Every variation: cake, break, make, cake, cake it off, make it off, <laughs> snake, snake it off. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah. It's all right. It's all right. I've, yes. Nice, it's not shabby. Nice choice. Um, I guess my big whip isn't quite as cool as Taylor Swift. 
But um, my big I'm one. Talking. Maybe I've already talked this one. I don't know. Uh, Shudder. Have I talk, talked about Shudder before? Uh, rings a bell. So, uh, so you know, we've got like Netflix and Amazon Prime and these very sort of streaming uh, services. Is this because it was brought up on one of the Facebook groups? Might be why. Uh, yeah, it was brought up on the Facebook group. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's this like newer sort of form of like boutique streaming services now. So whereas Netflix, you know, will have like every genre a TV show imaginable, as much as they can, and Amazon Prime will have their own selection of a bit of everything. There's more boutique ones uh, popping up. So there's one called Movie, which is the same price, five pound a month, but it's a very select, like a, a selection. Do you know what I mean? It's not as many films, but they're uh, on Movie. They're more arty, farty sort of films, um, more art house, and, and that's that way inclined. Um, whereas Shudder is a, a proper selection of of horror movies and and thriller movies and that. Things that are, are a bit more pulp, uh, pulpy and a bit more genre and grindhousey and that kind of thing. Um, so Shudder is five pound a month. You get a free like month trial if you want to try it out. Uh, but if you if you just have a look at like, the stuff they've got in there, they've got all of like the Netflix horror selection, but then so much more. And like a lot of like classic horror films, um, a lot of like weird obscure stuff that's kind of difficult to get a hold of and see. Um, so I'm just I'm just absolutely loving just sort of going through Shudder selection and watching these sort of insane 70s Italian <laughs> horror movies where the, the special effects is kind of dodgy and the, the story doesn't make sense <laughs> but, it's, but it's kind of like well actually we kind of watching the watching disgust but kind of a curious disgust That's, yeah uh, and I'd how much did you say that was a month five pound a month okay yeah it is really good because you seem to get it's 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 almost a trend isn't it when the um oh what do they call them now like the loot crate stuff going mental and they started introducing book versions of that there's now sort yeah. of like horror book things you can get ya book things you can get it's, nocturnal, it kind of... book readers club i think is the one that they always talk about on bookstagram yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely so we're probably going to be seeing a lot more of these little like you say boutique ones popping up for different genres different styles why don't we put together like a, an indie novel subscription box i always thought about that that would work in like indie comics so mm. you have like uh a subscription box of like a selection of indie comics sent out every week or every month even yeah yeah that'd be a fantastic way to grow your reader base yeah exactly the only problem would be i guess the cost for packaging but if you can set it up right you know yeah if you can get enough people that's the yeah that's the main thing. if anyone listening wants to invest in a million pound idea again go our way we've got some ideas it's definitely a one thousand pound idea i think it is i think at least thousand quid but uh, so today we're talking, we've got a nice little interview lined up and primed up for you guys. Um, uh, I don't really want to do the intro bit here. Cause I haven't quite figured out how to do this, Dan. So <laughs> how do we uh, go into the interview section? So we had a lovely chat with um, uh, a, a wonderful man called Max Booth, who spoke to us a lot about his podcasting, about his experience with his novels and his own publishing company. Um, and he dives a lot into what kind of stuff does he dive into, Luke? Stephen King. Talk a lot about Stephen, Stephen King, King, which uh, so, I quite enjoy. Yep. So if you're a fan of podcasts, if you're a fan of Stephen King, and if you're a fan of hearing the inner cogs whirring on a fellow horror author, then here comes Max Booth. How was that? Great. Nicely done. <laughs> <Impressed>. <laughs> 
Max Poove is the editor-in-chief of Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing, the managing editor of Dark Moon Digest, and the co-host of Castle Rock Radio, a Stephen King podcast. He's also the author of many novels, such as The Nightly Disease, and frequently contributes columns to both Lit Reactor, it's one of my favourite places to go on the, on the internet, and Gamuts. I don't know what that is. Also, he lives in Texas. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Max. How's it going? Oh, thanks, Welcome. man. It's going, it's going good. Thank you good for good. having me. Uh, what, what is Gamuts? Uh, I've not heard of it before. Oh, it's a online magazine. You have to pay if to subscribe to it. It has fiction columns. It's um, headed by a guy named Richard Thomas. Okay, yeah. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, he did a, a Kickstarter for it like two years ago and raised about 50000 What? <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. it was pretty big. <laughs> I mean, he has Brian Evanson on it. He had Stephen Keen on it. I mean, wow, yeah, cool. you should yeah. check it out. If we you... definitely should, yeah. 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 And you haven't heard of it. <laughs> what heard, the fuck? I, I haven't. I haven't either. What kind of podcast <laughs> am I on, man? I'd heard the word. <laughs> um okay so max i mean do you want to maybe start us off by talking about something you've you know recently read or watched that you like really geeking out on yeah um i just finished megan abbott's you will know me and i've never read anything by megan before have you guys no no i don't think so she writes uh crime novels and you will know me is the newest one she's written i think i've seen the it's cover ba- floating about actually on, on goodreads and, and that yeah, some lady's face. Yeah. It's pretty ju- it's pretty bad. <laughs> but inside is good. <laughs> a lot of those mainstream presses, the covers are just so shitty. Yeah, yeah. They uh, play it too safe. So yeah. in terms of the book, so you are you I kind of had you down as more of like a horror reader, but I guess are you sort of is there any sort of specific genre you like to go to? Um, yeah, I, I love the read hole, but I think crime is probably my my go to usually. Yeah. Cool. And it's I also of... recent I also recently uh, began reading James Elroy, who okay. for some reason I just skipped completely growing up. Yeah, and in terms of like uh, like visual stuff, so like films and TVs, or anything that you're really enjoying right now? Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm loving The Deuce on HBO. It's about um, the porn in- industry and prostitution in New York in like the 60s and 70s. Yeah. It's pretty good. Uh, also a crime show, but um, more on the Hill genre side, I just finished watching the new season of Stranger Things. I thought that was pretty uh, good. Uh, yeah. What did you think of that, Dan? Did it, did it live up to everything you kind of wanted it to? I think uh, I didn't manage to watch it as fast as some friends and they overhyped it a little bit, but I thought overall it, it delivered massively. It was the first show that I've stayed up to watch until the late hours of the morning and since Breaking Bad. And yeah, I think it was fantastic. So where do you think it sits against season one? Against season one? I'd say a little bit under. A little bit under. Okay, what about you? Only next? a little bit. Only a little bit. I'm curious. Yeah, I would, I would say the same. I, I, I love the new season, but I think I enjoyed season one more. I think I. Uh, I think season one had two. that novelty of. Yeah. yeah. I got. I got. I think I got too hyped up. You preferred two. Uh, no, well, I got too. Uh, at the time, after season two was done, I was so hyped up in the emotions of the like the final dance. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was like, this is so good. But now thinking back, now I've had a bit of time. Hands down, the down. saddest <laughs> scene in TV history. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Um. 
now I've had a bit of time to like let it soak in and simmer. I think um, I think season one was just a more intriguing, well paced. It didn't have any like it didn't have any dull episodes. It was just so well paced and so well put together. But uh, yeah, I think it I think it took a lot of us by surprise too. Yeah. I don't think anyone was expecting it to be so good. But with season two, we were expecting it to be even better than season one. Our expectations were so high for season two. That's the thing. You need to go in. I need to go into everything expecting shit. And then maybe, you know, maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. Well, that's it. If you expect everything to be crap, then you can only be pleased. So exactly. Yeah. That's a good um, way forward. What a way, what a way to start. <laughs> yeah. But, but Max Ellison, how comes, what is the um, cross? Because you seem to write a lot of horror. So where do you draw that inspiration from if you're, you seem to primarily digest thriller? Well, I mean, I don't know if I would choose one of all the other i kind of dig them both you know mm. so um, what what's your what's your origin story then so what, what got you into writing in the first place i would have to say it began with my dog when i was i don't know six or seven she uh, i was pretty close to her name was penny and she was fucking demolished by a snowplow and to cope with that, I began coming up with these fantasies of like the dog and I going on these stupid adventures. And my dad ended up helping me uh, type them out into text. And I thought that was the coolest thing. And plus, at the time, I was really into like Goosebumps and yeah. Christopher Pike. And it just, it was a natural lead to wanting to write in that genre. Mm. Yeah. And do, do you remember the, do you remember the first story? Do you remember like what it was you first wrote? Yeah, it was. So it was about myself and my dog, and we were in the woods, and we found this strange tree that had an entrance to it, and this fox with a lab coat came out and kidnapped my dog, <laughs> and demanded all these strange ingredients to build some doomsday device device. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it was called. Some <laughs> probably like the fox in the tree. Weird. I think one <laughs> and what was first... it that took that? Go on. I was I think one of my first stories was a, a me and my dog sort of story as well. I think that relationship you have with a, your first uh, dog is quite a strong one. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it that took that next step from sort of those kind of stories into? I don't know if you'd say more sort of serious writing, but sort of later life writing a bit more pro. Oh yeah. Well, um, from then on, I began writing the whole genre stuff because I also discovered Stephen King and my main focus just became everything. Hill. My brothers would show me the most fucked up movies like <laughs> dead alive and Texas chainsaw massacre. I'm only like eight and nine at this <laughs> at the time. Wow. Um, I didn't really discover crime fiction until I was a teenager, but what led to me deciding like, okay, I need to, I want to do this for a living. I think I could do this for a living. And I began, um, submitting things out. I was living in the motel at the time and I don't know why, but I was watching death proof. I must've been, I don't know, 15 and for some reason, I don't think it's that good of a movie now, but at the time I just thought, yeah, this is the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Nothing has ever been written with more craft than Death Proof. <laughs> and I immediately wrote a flash 
flash fiction that was just a big ripoff of Quentin Tarantino's dialogue. And I thought, oh my God, this is a world will be that no one has written anything as good as this thing I just wrote. So I began researching all the places to submit it. And I found some website called Stillysville. It's now defunct. It's not around now, but it was basically like, um, what, um, what the hell is that website called? Where you can post things and get critiqued. Wattpad. Wattpad. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of like that. It was a big community where you would post things you'd written and, friends would comment and i gained a good amount of friends from that website and they also were interested in writing and we all just took it really seriously and it evolved from that so um did you guys sort of like critique each of his stories and then send them out to publications or, or something like that i don't think anyone was submitting them out yet right. yeah None of us were that good. <laughs> so if we were submitting them out, we weren't admitting it because oh, right. they were instant rejections. <laughs> so, um, how, how how long ago was this though? Was this how old were you at this point? Oh, I'm 24 right now. So, I mean, when you first started writing on the, on the Wattpad equivalent, uh, about a decade ago. About a decade ago. Okay, cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so I guess this would be your training montage period, right? So this is like the bit where you're uh, getting a lot of stuff out. I mean, were you writing a lot of the time? Yeah, I lived in a motel from ages 12 to 16. And basically all I did, because I wasn't going to school, so all I did was read and write pretty much constantly. And I think that definitely helped improve my craft. I mean, it's kind of a unique way to grow up. That was your school. That was your like, education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What was your um, what was your favorite Stephen King story? When what was the big one that spoke to you when you were in that sort of early writing period and why? Oh, the body definitely. That's how I discovered Stephen King because I was in love with the movie Stand by Me and someone so told good. me, well, so good, well, there's yeah. a book called The Body. You should read it. And I read that and man, just fucking took off like a rocket. Yeah. Um. So in terms, of, like, um, is there any other sort of Stephen King books that you sort of, um fell into after that i mean i know for me it's only been this year that i've been really really getting into stephen king i don't know why You've i put been them hammering so... them <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know why i put them off so long but now i've sort of had that gateway drug i just can't stop um, <laughs> yeah yeah um the talisman spoke to me a lot when i was living in the hotel because it was about a kid my own age at the time and he was also living at a hotel and then he had to leave to save his mom from a disease I just found that really relatable. Yeah. I um fucking got obsessed with the his Dark Tower series. I read all seven of his books in like a month. <laughs> wow. That's that's hard yeah. going. Yeah. I don't know how I did that. <laughs> I did pretty much nothing but read them. That's impressive. Yeah. And do you have a as we're on the subject of Stephen King, uh, do you have like a, a favorite an absolute favorite book now that sort of stands hand and shoulders above the others? Yeah, um, the one he wrote as Richard Bachman is called The Long Walk. That's that's next on my uh, list to read, actually. I just finished reading okay. Rage. I've got, like, the back. Oh, books. yeah. Yeah. I was, with Rage, so that's... He, how old was he when he wrote that? I think he was quite young. I was reading that, and I was like, you know what? This is good. It's, it's good to see, like, where he got his humble beginnings. And about, like, 20 pages in, I was like, oh, fuck, he was really good back then as well. Like, it's <laughs> it's so good. 
But um, <laughs> I think he was. I think he was seventeen or eighteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what is it about the long walk that that's really uh, got to you? Yeah, well, there's almost no background in it, which I love. I hate when exposition takes over, and it's just it moves forward constantly. And the plot is super simple, but it's effective. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So, um, is... oh, go on. No, sorry. I was going to say, so what is it about, because um, obviously Stephen King's been a bit of a, a bedrock in terms of your, your podcast, um, Castle Rock Radio. What was it that made you so, so passionate that you wanted to start up that podcast and, and get talking about Stephen King? Okay, yeah. Um, a while back, I did this challenge for Lit Reactor where I would read every single piece of short fiction he had written in one month and then write a column about it. You like challenges I, then. <laughs> yeah. And as I was reading them, I kept talking to um, who is now my co-host for the podcast, Lloyd Michelle, just like explaining some of the wacky plat- plots I had forgotten about. Like for an example, he has one called The Cat from Hell. And that is about a hitman who is contracted to whack a cat. And at the end, the cat forces itself down the hitman's throat. And then... Uh, is, this, is there a film? Uh, is this on the... I think it was made into a short film, yeah. yeah. Yeah, And I just realized how much fun it was just to discuss the plots. And that's just how the podcast grew. And you... plus, I had, I had been wanting to do a podcast for a while because I have... A lot of anxiety when it comes to public speaking because of my yeah. speech impediment. So I thought that would be a good challenge to kind of break that. I think it. I think it works. I mean, I've been podcasting for a little while now. Uh, when I listen back to those first ones, I don't think I'm particularly great now. When I listen back to those first ones, I um, I can just hear the improvement. I mean, just I just been more comfortable talking. Dan Dan is like incredibly confident anyway. So I don't think. In fact, the podcast <laughs> has probably made you a little bit worse, Dan. <laughs> probably for me. I'm much no, more of a face-to-face person, but I, I still can remember. Well, I still cringe at the early early episodes of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good it's a good habit to get into, I think. Um, but your your first episode of Castle Rock Radio, uh, Max, was on the lawnmower. Why why would you do yeah. that story? That's such a that's such a bizarre, bonkers story. It's great, but it's, <laughs> that's uh, exactly why. Oh. <laughs> and plus, I love the background with the. With everything that happened with the film adaptation, that was a, I thought that was pretty interesting to talk about. Yeah. So what? So uh, Stephen King didn't did he even write a draft or did he just sort of because the film is nothing like the story. No, he didn't even know it was made. He just <laughs> randomly like stumbled across it, and it had nothing to do with anything he wrote. So he ended up suing the film production company to remove his name, and then he would hire private like private eyes to go to movie stores to make sure the the movies didn't have his name on him. <laughs> it was fucking nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, just to go back to the the, the writing stuff, then. So, um, mm-hmm. when you were in your training montage halfway through, and you'd uh, were you developing any sort of writing sort of habits? How are you? Because I know a lot of people struggle to get their ass in the chair and to actually, you know, put fingers to the keyboard. I mean, how are you? Did you? What was your routine like back then? Uh, back then, I was I didn't have a routine. I would I really just had nothing else to do because the hotel I lived in it was located too far away for me to go to school. It was on the side of a highway. I couldn't walk anywhere. I kind of lost contact with all of my friends. So 
And plus the website I had joined, it gave me a lot of motiva- motiv- bleh, a lot of motivation mm. because I would want to constantly upload new things to see what everyone thought of it. It was a pretty fun experience. And I think Rydals need some type of group to get them going in the beginning. Yeah. And yeah, you, it's, it's a lonely business. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, so in, in terms of now, now you're, you've been doing it for a little while now, do you have any sort of routines or habits built into place now? I honestly don't. I just try to write when I, when I, when I can. Yeah. I think routines kind of damage you in the long run because yeah. then you become dependent on them. Like if something isn't exactly right, then in your mind you begin to believe, oh, no, I can't write now. Yeah. Yeah, I can feel that. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I think um, I found that habits have been massively helpful in terms of actually getting the momentum going. But like you say, sometimes all it takes is you wake up five minutes later than you meant to, or you sit down sort of a little bit later than you planned to, and suddenly you, your head just throws it all out the window and thinks that you ha- you can't do your full full lot. So why bother? Yeah, yeah. I saw some people in the I'm doing nano at the minute, nano and I saw some people in the nano Facebook group. Um, I think it was like four days in, and they were giving up because they'd not managed to write like two days of those four days. And they were like, I'm too far behind now. I was like, Jesus Christ. Wow. Just, <laughs> just sit down and write. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a good thing we'll get me now. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, so Max, you, um, you've had a fair few short stories appearing in like various publications and, and that kind of thing. Um, I'd love to try and delve into your opinion of sort of what makes a, a great little short story to, to send to magazines and that kind of thing. Is there any tips that you've got there for, for newer writers? Oh man. Uh, yeah, I have a few. I mean, obviously it needs to be exciting. It, I, I know this a lot, like in the slush pile, people try to mimic scenes from movies that I've already seen. And people also fall on all the, Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The illusion that rat, that prose is the same as a visual medium. Mm. And sometimes, sometimes I can not be beneficial at all. The pacing is definitely something that needs to be concrete. It needs to keep me excited. Yeah, um, Rydell just should keep in mind that we live with a cell phone attached to us constantly and everything is just like a scroll away. So you have to make me want to keep reading because I will so easily distracted. Why should we give a shit? You have to give us a reason to want to keep reading. Mm. Yeah. Um, openings will super important begin as late as you can. I would say Yeah. as soon as it stops making stops making sense, then that's when you need to begin. As soon as, all oh, right. So it, the point where like, um, I'm trying to think of a good example. So what I've been falling into the habit of is sort of starting at the end and then looping a little bit back. If that makes any sense. Yeah. 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 But um, it's interesting because short stories, it's it's its own. I mean, we write we write a lot of novels, Dan, but like, how do you feel like short stories? Short stories are their own medium, right? There's something very different about it to write a novel. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you do, well, not the same thing at all. I mean, a novel, you have a lot of time. Short story, it's like a punch to the face, striking and done. <laughs> yeah. But like, if you're writing a novel, I mean, it takes a lot of time. You can take the victim home, take your time with them. You have all the, all the, you have a whole week, take a week vacation, do what you want. But a short story, it's like a mugging. You don't have a lot of time. Yeah, get in there, get the wallet and get out. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an underappreciated art form. I mean, I know a lot of people that they'll write short stories and because they get recognition for their short stories, they suddenly jump to a novel and suddenly they realize that there's a lot more work in that than than this first thought it's not just as easy as taking that short story and stretching it because each story in essence will have its own own lifetime its own credibility of how far you can stretch that particular narrative but i think it's it's something that you definitely work on that takes some takes some doing but is it is it short stories that you kind of tend to lean yourself towards more or is it the the bigger novels that you enjoy writing I kind of like writing novellas the most, the in between. Okay. Yeah. Mm. I'm not quite. I'm not quite positive why. <laughs> I think novels are sometimes long just for the sake of being long. Like they mm. writers just will stretch them out because they think, well, I need a, I need a full length novel. No one's gonna take me serious. But with a short story, you just sometimes you don't have enough time to get everything in. With a novella, you can be you have a you can have a quick pace, but you also have some time to develop some good kiltalization, some decent plot twists. The pacing doesn't have to settle. Yeah, I guess you have got a bit more room to play with. It's almost yeah. like you can take that seed for a short story, but then have a bit more of a creative license with it. Right. And to be fair, some of the best stories that I have read have been novellas. It's that. Because sometimes you don't want to sit and know that you've got four or five hundred pages ahead. Sometimes you do just want to digest enough of a story that you can then move on and go on to the next one. 
I think a lot of novels lately will actually just two or three novellas just smushed together. Yeah. Mm. I see that a lot like when books are constantly switching point of views and most of the point of views don't have anything to do with each other and they just kind of connect once in a while. Yeah. I'm finding at the minute that is the one of the most common things I'm seeing in, in recent novels is that POV change. And you're right. I think it's one of those things But as I'm reading it, I'm going, if this is one person's perspective, which, you know, books 10, 20 years ago primarily are, this would be a lot shorter story. It's a good way to make your novel stretch and I guess to play more with other characters, but at the same time, sometimes it's not necessarily needed. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of like a uh, game of Thrones sort of made everyone think <laughs> just go to a different. Can you imagine if it's all from Jon Snow's perspective? <laughs> I know actually it might be quite a tight little story that, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> so uh, Max, so can you talk, I mean, so it's dark moon digest and there's perpetual motion machine, publishing is perpetual motion machine publishing like the the imprint you built to publish dark moon digest or did it happen sort of the other way around or can you talk a bit, a so bit about y- that so yeah dmd has been around seven years now i got involved like in the second year as uh like an associate editor it was founded by a man named stan swanson and around, uh, I would say, 2002, I decided to begin my own publishing company. I don't know why now. It was a stupid <laughs> idea. But I'm, I'm stuck with it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I stuck with DMD as well. Me, my, Myself and also Lori Michelle. She eventually took over as editor-in-chief of the magazine. And then Stan Swanson decided he was done with all the publishing, he wanted to focus on country music, I think. So he basically, we basically, we bought the magazine, the magazine from him and began publishing it under the PMMP name. Well, okay, cool. It's, and uh, yeah. it's a quarterly magazine, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. And it's, uh, I've, I've read a, a couple actually. Uh, so it's got short stories, some essays and, and that kind of thing. It's really interesting. I think I'd like to do something like that at that point, but I mean, that's, is it a lot of work? It looks like a lot of work, getting different stories and, and articles together. Yeah, it is. We have a whole team of slash readle to help out, so that's good. Cool. And <laughs> but ha- still, we do it every three months. It's- right. Cool. And um, so are you, it's, so people read the slush pile for you, and then do you have like the final say on what goes in there? Yeah, they all do the votes, and then... Um, Lloyd, um, Lloyd, Michelle, and myself, we go through the ones who got the most votes and we decide. Yeah. And sometimes if I have like a few owls to spill, I'll just go through the whole slush pile and quickly reject a bunch of them because sometimes it's pretty easy to tell if I'm going to reject them by like page one. Yeah. And what- How many do you normally get in? <sighs> I have no idea. Hundreds. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I, th- I think we'll still reading submissions from back in April. Do you think it's made you a better short story writer? Like having to edit them? Yeah. Definitely. Mostly because I understand now what annoys me. So I try to avoid doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you've got like a, a Patreon um, thingy with Jobly set up for PPM, PMM. Is that right? 
Yeah, we do as a Patreon. We use it. We began it because we thought it would be a good way for people to subscribe to the magazine. Because we do it if you pledge a buck a month, then you get the digital magazine every time it comes out. And we have a bunch of other like levels you can choose from. There's a paperback subscription as well. But I noticed since we did the Patreon, a lot more people have subscribed than back when we just had a, a page on the website. Interesting. So do you think and plus is, how, yeah, go ahead. So do you think they found you through Patreon or how how these new people coming to you? I think it's just more convenient. Right. Yeah. I guess it's like um I mean how did you have it for? Did you just like have a landing page or or something or yeah, we just have a landing page, but it's easy to, to post to social media. And plus, anytime someone, like someone who already has a Patreon account, yeah, other yeah. people can pledge to them. If that account pledges to my account, then everyone who had ever pledged to the other account is emailed saying, this cradle just pledged to PMMP. Yeah. Maybe you should too. So <laughs> it, it kind of branches out like that. Yeah, and I saw Amanda mm-hmm. Palmer tweeting to you today about it, which is quite cool. Excuse me? Oh, sorry, I saw uh, Amanda Palmer tweeting to you about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was cool. I was yeah. hoping she would, she, she would like retweet it, but nah, man, that didn't happen. Oh, Amanda. I mean, I, I, this whole reason I linked it, I was like, hmm, maybe. <laughs> maybe I can be sly. Yeah, maybe get uh, to send a link to Neil. That'd be interesting. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool, man. I mean, um, I don't know how much you want to go into into the whole dark views thing. I I was going to just sort of quickly touch on it and see if it's something you you sort of wanted to delve into or not because I know oh, you yeah. had. I'm a... an open book about it, so okay. anything anything you want to know, I don't give a shit. Fuck those guys. So, uh, Dan, I don't, I don't know if you you saw. So, um, a little while ago, a published company called Dark Views um, went bust, or they, you know, went solvent or whatever. They, bankrupt or whatever they call it um and then they own the rights they'd publish your novel the nightly disease um and then what happened so they just didn't give you any you like a year's worth of royalties for it (laughs) yeah what happened was um they pub they published it in december so almost a year ago now and i never received royalties for it at all and I think it was June, maybe it was May. We got everyone who had been published by him received an email saying he was stepping down to focus on tennis and he would begin doing limited publishing only. So the the idea he had was anyone he had already published, they would either go out of print or they would be forced to sign a new contract with pretty shitty films to it the royalty rate was awful i don't know why he decided we would have to publish i mean sign new contracts and then he said um and anyone he had already signed but hadn't published yet they would receive the same contract they had signed it would be fine if anyone published before 2017 they would be removed or they would need to sign a new contract most of us said fuck you and we just took all rights back he freaked out at this and said and stopped responding to anyone until a month later he sent out a newsletter to like his fan base complaining that he had tried to 
make the publishing company more viable, but because of 80% of his um, authors ab abandoned him, he was forced to um, file for bankruptcy. So basically he blamed us for leaving when he was already being a shithead. <laughs> but he was uh, I mean, he was leaving to be a, like a tennis man, right? Wasn't that right, idea? yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he, he wanted to focus on instructing tennis. And until now, he hadn't paid anyone any royalties for all of 17. So that's six months for me. I received nothing. Okay. And not so even. How do you deal with that situation? How do you, how do you move well, forward from that in terms of republishing your novel and going ahead? Yeah, yeah. So what happened after that was he did do bankruptcy. And right now, we're trying to settle it in the law. <laughs> Yeah. So we're waiting. I guess it's going to cold. I don't know if it's going to be bolted at this point. Probably not. So what I did was I decided just to self-publish it through my own company, which is a lot easier sometimes. I'm, I've never self-published before. I didn't really want to, but mm. I didn't really have a choice at this point. And so what was the question? <laughs> well, I guess um, it'd just be interesting to, to you kind of been forced to sort of self-publishing go like a bit more of an indie route um would you doing the doing the whole thing with dark views sounds kind of annoying and and sort of would you if you could turn the clock back would you just go ahead and self-publish night of disease or try and find another publisher or i would find i if i didn't send it to dark views i would rather just try to find a new press to yeah. release it probably Maybe try to go the agent route. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't. And what is it that attracts you more to the agent to the route agent? than the self-publishing route? Yeah. Well, I, I'm just finding a, a wider audience. Yeah. 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 It's, that's that's what's most important to me is trying to find a a wider audience, trying to reach more people. Yeah. Sounds mm. cool, man. So, um, and in the the next number we're gonna write, um, are you gonna try to find an agent and do the trad route for that um the thing i recently finished one i don't i'm not going to send it to an agent because it's not long enough a lot of agents they won't touch anything unless it's sixty thousand molds and above yeah and mine is not so I don't, i'm i'm reaching out to a few small presses i like so maybe we'll see i haven't really made up my mind but the one I'm doing right now, I'm definitely going to try going the agent route like a dumbass. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, um, would you not, yeah. would you not um, be interested in like self-publishing through Perpetual Motion Machine again? I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but I, I would rather try to find a different method just because yeah. I don't, I don't know, I find it, I don't, I don't mind self-publishing at all. Yeah. Like I have no problems if someone does that. I just find it kind of gross if I do it <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm afraid of somehow focusing more attention on my book than someone else I've published, if that makes sense. Okay, then that does make sense because mm. you're publishing um, other people's books as well, right? So Right, yeah. Office, yeah. And I can understand that because then it would be like if you publish your own book as well, how would that appear to your other authors? And it seems, I know what you mean, it kind of seems a little bit strange. Um, yeah, it would be like 
the coach's kid always pitching. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's why I, I that try to that... avoid it. Go on, Dan. Is that something that you considered? Was it a case of when you started the company? Was it intentionally to find these new authors? And was it something that you considered that you would have to find alternative methods to publish your own work? No, I had never considered that I would publish my own fiction and all the company's name. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah, I just, so... with the nightly disease, I just really didn't have a choice because no one's going to want a book that was already published. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, And then mm -hmm. what's the reaction been like to, to republishing it? I mean, pretty good. We gave it a new jacket, a big improvement from the last one, I think. We've done a few readings of it. I mean, I think it's going okay. Yeah. I haven't really done a lot of promotion with it for the reasons I mentioned. I don't, I'm trying to focus on books by different people that I published. Yeah. Public I kind of just threw it out to the void and like, okay, let's see what happens. Public readings. Uh, I'm, I don't know if I could, I mean, Dan, I know I've seen you do a really good one. I'm, I'm not too sure I could do it. Uh, how did you find the public reading? Oh, me? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I was invited by a, a friend, um, Ilg Pruitt, who wrote a book called What We Reckon. He's a crime writer. We, I drove out to Dallas and did one at this bookshop slash pub called The Wild Detectives. That was just last week. And that was fun. Um, I was super nervous. It was the second reading I've done. I had to get pretty drunk beforehand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean just doing a podcast i get pretty anxious about but yeah reading it was it's not easy dan do, i know you, you you're quite good at that kind of have you got any advice for um people out there who are a bit nervous about that kind of stuff know your material through and through before you go on stage i think it's um it's quite easy to have one or two flicks through and think you've got it. But the only way really to know that you've got that confidence is to go up there and just know the material through and through. Yeah. Um, and I think it's more try just be yourself more than anything else. It's if you try and recreate or mimic someone else that you've seen in a certain style, you're just going to come off as fake and people are going to read it. Um, and also I'd also say that, a lot of the times when people are staring at you and they look bored, look at your own face when you're listening to other people speak. Because not a lot of times do people look that enthusiastic when they're listening to people speak. So it's not something that I take personally if there are a lot of people with sort of chins on their hands or just kind yeah. of. I would uh, ban phones. Not... I would I would take like a just whip, whip round. Yeah, I'd take a whip round with my hat and just say, <laughs> pop your phones in here. <laughs> you could pick up on the <laughs> way out. in the twat bag. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, have you got any more yeah. readings coming but do up? You find... oh, sorry, sorry, Dan. Oh, mine was kind of going to tag onto that. Was How do you find that helps you in terms of publicity? Um, I, I mean, I don't know how well it helped me. The, the place was pretty packed, but it was a small place. So, <laughs> Besides uh, publicity-wise, I don't think it did that much, but I yeah. think it's, it's fun experience once you get it over with and done. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because yeah. it kind of for me that goes hand in hand with author signings. Like I don't see a great deal in terms of reaching new audience. Yeah, but reaching anyone from your audience. But at the same time, it's quite nice to have those experiences where you do get to speak to people directly. Yeah, it's nice to get out of the house sometimes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I agree though. I I definitely realize you really have to practice the reading beforehand. I uh, yeah. the night before I drove to Dallas, I I I booked a night shift at a hotel, which is what my book, The Nightly Disease, is about. And I was practicing the reading like <laughs> at the front desk, and the scene involved the night guy yelling at a guest and getting into this argument. And I wasn't paying attention. I realized someone was standing at the front desk waiting to get a toothbrush. It was it was pretty awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so when you do practice, maybe pay attention to the surroundings you're yeah. standing in. Yeah, know the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good job. So, um, okay, so uh, Max, a uh, couple yeah. more questions before we go on to the um, <coughs> the quickfire round. So, if all of your work got lost to the fire and you didn't have a proper backup solution in, play, in place, um, but you managed to save one single piece of your work, be that a novel, a short story, podcast, or even a doodle, which piece of work would you like to save? I would say the book I'm writing right now because it is not published. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, okay. And uh, is, would this be the kind of the one piece of work that sort of best represents you? Um, where could people go if they want to, you know, get a good taste of Max? That sounds a bit wrong, but um, where can they if they want to get a good lick on you? Where, where could they go? <laughs> like the book that best represent represents me. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would just say pick up the Nightly Disease. That is the best thing I've written, definitely. Cool. cool. And uh, so, That's what's it. what's next for PMMP and Max Booth? Uh, PMMP will about to release Joe McKinney's collection, Speculations. And right now I'm reading submissions for a new anthology called Lost Films, which I hope to get out by August. And writing-wise, nothing I can really talk about at the moment. No news. I have one book finished. I'm shopping around, and I'm halfway through the new book. Nothing too exciting. Cool. Okay, man. Cool. Well, let's. Uh, Dan, are you ready for the quick fire round? I am so ready. Max, are you ready for the quick fire round? Yes, I am. Cool. Let's do it. Okay, Dan, <laughs> Dan, do you want to go first? Go for it. Okay, Max, what was the second to last book that you read? It was The Big Noble by James Elroy. Uh, celebrity chef and all round angry Scotsman Gordon Ramsay insults you to your face for a whole hour. Do you enjoy it overtly or secretly? Uh, secretly, I'm too. I'm too shy. <laughs> What's your favorite alcoholic beverage? Whiskey. Favorite U.S. city? Uh, Chicago. What was the first film you ever loved? Coneheads. Uh, that was nice. Uh, the one person you'd want to meet? Stephen King. <laughs> you pirate Pre- music? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honest. Okay. Uh, favorite creator who's not a writer? Um, I would go with Mike Mignola. Oh, cool. You're in the cinema waiting for the film to come on. Bad news. It's that film that you hate. What's that film called again? That film is called White Chicks. My uh, fiance nice. loves that film. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, and the last one. Uh, where can we follow you in your work? Talesfromthebooth.com. Cool. Um, okay, so just a quick thanks to Disasterpiece for the intro and outro music. Thanks to ACAST for hosting the podcast. Thanks to the listeners for listening. 
Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com forward slash fork and cleaver. Uh, thanks to Dan, my co-host, for being here without you. I would be alone. Thanks, Dan. You're welcome. Thank you, Luke. Thank and, you, Max. Uh, yeah, just, just again, thanks for coming on, Max. It's been, um, I've been sort of uh, following you on Twitter for a while. You're very humorous, so everyone should go follow Max on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle yeah. again? Give me your teeth. Give me your teeth. Nice. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll end on that. Give me your teeth, and uh, thanks again for coming on. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Story Studio Podcast. Still hungering for some podcast goodness? Then why not check out our other show, The Other Stories. Oh, and did you know, every time you leave us a review in the iTunes store, a puppy is born. Cute day, anyway. Toodle pip. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.